Welcome to Silently Bleeding, Hope for the Pastor's Wife. I'm your host, Jan McIntyre. Today, we are interviewing Nagme Panahi. Nagme was married to Saeed Abedini. He was in prison in Iran back in 2012 for his faith, and Nagme did everything she could to get him set free. Three and a half years later, he was set free. Unfortunately, there's a lot more to this story. I will give you a trigger warning for domestic violence. Let's jump right into our interview. Could you just tell us a little about yourself before you got married? I was raised in Iran, very Middle Eastern culture till I was nine, came to America, was raised Muslim, strong Muslim. My dad was this very strong Muslim, came to America. My brother had a vision of Jesus and uh, I saw Jesus telling him, you know, he loved him and um he was really shaken. My brother now has a doctorate in quantum physics. He's not an emotional person. So the way his emotion, he was emotional, really like got me wondering who this Jesus was. And it kind of took us on a journey of asking people about Jesus. And someone shared with us, we got, we accepted Jesus. We were in California. We, I was nine, we were nine, um, we're twins, um, got uh, baptized. Then our parents found out they got angry Long story short, they were going to, my dad was going to move us back to Iran, which there was an eight year war, million people had died. It was chemical warfare now with Iraq and in the 80s. Uh, but someone suggested to him to come to Idaho, where it was not as populated, possibly with Christians. <laughs> and so that's how I ended up in Idaho. Uh, and I just grew up in Idaho, very protected by my parents, especially my dad, so that we wouldn't talk to any Christians. We wouldn't um, you know, be acquainted with Christianity. Now, uh, when I had become a Christian at age nine, I had received the Bible um, uh, from the person who shared with me and I had the Psalm New Testament. So I'd read a few chapters, like two chapters in the book of Psalms. But that was that was the extent of my exposure to the Bible. But um, my dad, my parents thought, you know, we're only nine if we if they try to like, uh disconnect us from any Christianity or Christian influence, we're going to forget about Jesus. And long story short, 10 years later, about 10 years later, they both my parents accepted Christ, my younger sister accepted Christ. And um, so yeah, praise God, praise God. So how did you end up meeting Saeed, your husband? Yeah, you know, since I was nine, my prayer was, uh, because I had read Psalm 2 before my parents took away my Bible, uh, I, my prayer was, you know, it says, today I've begotten you, uh, you know, uh, ask of me and I will give you the nations as my inheritance, as your inheritance. So I, I, since I was nine, I remember reading that. So I would pray, God, all I want is the nations. I want to, you know, especially the nation of Iran, I want to see people saved like I've been saved out of Islam. I prayed out all my life. Then I go to college, about to go to medical school. September 11 happens in 2001. And I just felt like God was telling me to go back and share the gospel. And I did. Uh, I didn't know that when I arrived in Iran a few years later, what what would happen would be the start of the revival of the largest, one of the largest underground church movements, which our house church was part of. We were actually one of the largest, but went there, started sharing with family members. Then uh, someone invited me to a building church because at that time I was just meeting in my home with cousins and sharing the gospel with people I knew. But someone said there's an actual government approved building church. 
which they don't usually allow Muslims to come. It's Armenian leadership, people who've been Christians all their life. Um, and I ended up going to that church. I was afraid because I knew uh, that um, government sanctioned churches were being watched by the government. And I could get my life could be in danger. But I was actually about to head out of Iran anyways. I'd been there a year from 2001 to 2002. And so I thought, you know what, I'm leaving anyways. I I shared with like 50 family members. I shared as much as I could with, with the gospel. I had like five people except Christ. And I thought, you know what, I'm done. Like I did everything. I shared the gospel with family members. So I went to the building church and that's where Said was. It was a charismatic church. It was an Assemblies of God church. And uh, he was part of the worship team. Uh, he was like a background singer and he was wearing all white and I just could see like he was just like worshiping with like a David, like with all of his might. And he was like, I was just like really I was that really drew my attention. So I met him in a in a building church inside of Iran and in, in the capital city, um, Tehran. And then you guys ended up dating, falling in love. Yeah. We ended up uh he asked me to do ministry with him because uh he was working. Uh, uh, he was a student at a Bible school there, underground Bible school. And part of their assignment was to start home churches. And he wanted a girl to serve alongside him. We were both in our twenties and he said, you know, can you help with the girls? And I said, yeah. And uh, I've been a believer at that time um, for almost 20 years. I was 25 and I accepted Christ at age nine. So, you know, uh, and, and he had been a new convert very radical conversion. He was a part of Hezbollah terrorist group. And, you know, it seemed like he had this radical conversion. I met him two years into his con after he converted. And so um, he was, he seemed like an evangelist, which is like my no number one passion. And he said, would you want to serve alongside me? And I said, yeah. And so we started serving. And uh, really all I cared about at that point was reaching Muslims for Christ mm -hmm. and ministry. So um, I, some things later on, uh, I noticed was very much abusive, but at that point, I really didn't care about uh, anything other than ministry, so reaching the lost, you know, and um, especially Muslims, that was my passion. So when y'all were working together, you did notice a little few warning signs of abuse? Yeah, I didn't realize, you know, the Holy Spirit actually does work through our bodies. We get tense or there's a little bit of an anxiety. You know, I've been taught uh, through church that, that your heart is wicked, which I agree with. The Bible says that my heart was being drawn to sight, but my body was responding. You know, when you touch something hot and, and your body's like, it's hot. Um, I knew something was off. I He wasn't like, all head over heels in love with me. He was like tearing me apart. Like, ah, I don't know if I, your dark hair, maybe you should color it blonde, your dark skin, you know, maybe you should like put skin whitener on all your eyebrows. Like maybe you could do surgery and pull them up a little, like your nose. Like I noticed, like, I just like, you know, you imagine when you marry someone like Hollywood or Disney or whatever, they're all into you. And I just noticed he's not into me. And, um, as, as a matter of fact, he was kind of like picking on my looks. And at that point, I was a very confident young girl. I'd grown up in the U.S. There was I had a lot of in male interest in my life, but I'd never been interested. I had never dated. So I knew like I there was nothing wrong with me. I had been a businesswoman. My dad was a businessman. I was serving alongside him. 
So I had this confidence. My dad was always like, he really lifted me up as a woman. Like, um, even though we, I had a twin brother, he would always say, you're like me, you're like businesswoman, you're like strong. And so I had this confidence before I met him, I traveled the world with my dad to like Germany and France and England. And so, um, he was like really the first person that really like treated me like I was like ugly and, uh, you know, wasn't into me. So I knew that was off. Um, when we would, why did you agree to marry him? If you knew something was off now, looking back, I think ministry was an idol. All I cared about, I would read missionary books. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter. Like, who am I? Anyways, I've been treated like a queen by my dad. I'm probably like this spoiled little brat. Like who cares if, if he doesn't like, like dote on me and worship me as an idol, like, as long as we're doing ministry together, I don't, I feel like maybe it was like my pride and just having been raised in a home where my dad was just always like praising me that now I didn't have that constant praise that I was kind of, my pride was being dented, you know? And so I thought it was me, like, as long as he loves the Lord, we're serving the Lord. Like, so what if he's not like into me, you know? And so, yeah, now I see it as red flags because then uh, with that also came, oh, your friend, blah, 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 has this uh, spiritual problem. I can see I have like discernment. So everyone around me like had issues. My parents, he was like telling me your dad's actually like has problems, your mom. And, and so I, I, now I see it, but at that time I really believed like he was the spiritual man. He could speak in tongues and he would cast out demons. And there was actually like things that I was like, whoa, I've never seen this before. Okay. So he's a spiritual man. I, I correlated that with spirituality, which later God actually showed me that it's not necessarily even salvation. You could do great works without knowing him, without knowing Jesus. So uh, I just thought, you know, it's me. I need to just, uh, and so I listened to him when he was telling me not to listen to my parents or listen to whoever. And um, because, you know, now I see he was trying to um, shut down any voices that would tell me uh, things were wrong. Uh, um, and try to isolate me. My parents also loved him. My parents were going to an Assemblies of God church here in uh, America. And so they loved him, but he was slowly cutting them out of my life. So I I wasn't really communicating with them. So they didn't see any red flags at first. Mm -hmm. Um, It was other things. So it was mainly like my looks, my weight. I was like probably size four. (laughs) And he was still like, you know, his sisters were petite. They're like five foot and young, smaller. I'm five, four. So they were petiter, like almost like a, um, very small. And so he would always like, uh, like, um, comment on my weight and my looks. And so slowly I noticed I just were, I, uh, only recently have I taken off the makeup, but I was piling on makeup, trying to highlighting my hair, trying to like be the person that I thought he wanted me, me to me. And, when I was, um, I think five or six, I fell and I have a little scar on my forehead. And it's actually, uh, now looking back, I'm like, that's the scar. That scar reminds me of when my dad scooped me up and, and like it, you know, but for him, um, I remember he was, we, we did a few injections to get rid of the scar and, um, but it, it was just everything, you know, everything about me had to be fixed. And, and so, yeah, I didn't see anything. I, I didn't even know what narcissism or abuse was. I thought like anyone who says I love Jesus, they love Jesus. 
and they're carrying their cross and that's it. Like that's Christianity. Like for me, I'd left everything. I left, um, you know, my brother pursued being a doctor and everyone was like, look at him. We were like, you know, there was a competition being a twin. And so he got his doctorate in quantum physics and I was supposed to be a medical doctor. And, um, I left everything September 11. No one was getting into airplanes. No one was like, uh, going to the middle East. And I, I literally left everything, my comfort in America, my, my, you know, value as a woman greatly changed once I stepped into middle Eastern country where women have zero rights. So I gave all of that up. And for the first time I realized, because when we had lived in Iran, I was a Muslim. So when I went back, I was a Christian. I realized, wow, like I saw the plight of the persecuted church. So I did not know that you would lose everything you owned. You could not go to get educated. You could not go to college. You could not even get elementary education if you were a Christian convert. Uh, you couldn't work. Uh, I didn't know that it carried the death penalty. Like I had no clue until I went to Iran. And I was like, wow, like, you know, and so me and Said, we worked well together. The ministry was flourishing uh, within a few years. It was like thousands of new converts from Islam, uh, 33 cities and that some of the cities had never had churches in them. And so everything was just exploding. We were reaching college students and, you know, and um, we didn't realize we lived in the center of Tehran, the capital city. And right next to us was a was the Tehran University, which is like the biggest university. We were evangelizing to college students. They were open to the gospel. They were open minded. And these college students were then get, we were training them. But we didn't realize it was a God thing because then they would leave. Of course, they would have to go back to their cities. And that's how it spread, even without us really planning it that way. They would go back to their cities, share with their family, share with their friends. All, all of a sudden, we had like 20, 30 people had come to know the Lord in this small little city, started a home church. So it just kind of exploded. And um, that part of it was very exciting, being a pastor's wife to thousands of people, um, being at the forefront. Everyone would say, you know, your house churches is the largest. They had never seen. Saeed had fellow like... Bible school students, um, college, you know, and they had all all started house churches and maybe they had 50 and we had like 2000, you know, and so they were all like, everyone was talking about how our network was the largest and I was the pastor's wife of that network and just seeing so uh, just seeing the move of the Holy Spirit and bringing conversions was just so that was the exciting part of it. But my marriage wasn't so good, but I kept pushing that back and we were just so busy to really deal with it. Yeah. So how much into the marriage before the actual physical abuse started? Uh, a year and a half. So, it, um, well, physical meaning like beating to the point of death, almost death. Um, there was little things. There was like shoving and like spitting. Um, and I knew there was something in my spirit, like, spitting on someone your own wife like that's just like not okay you know so there was like little shoving spitting I ignoring me where I was begging him falling on his feet like begging him to talk to me and him implying that if I I had to like kiss his feet to you know just like so those but not like a physical beating so um, I was uh, early on in our marriage I was isolated from everyone I was in Iran as a woman who was really afraid to go out. I, I would go out. If I went out, I would go out with Saeed. I, I knew 
um, just the restrictions as a woman uh, in a Muslim country, but also as a Christian convert. And um, so I was, and I, all my family was in America. So I was very isolated. So he was like my everything. And so when he would ignore me for days at a time or months at a time, it was just devastating. I would beg him to talk to me. And I didn't realize that's a form of abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like giving someone, uh, it's called the silent treatment, but it's kind of putting someone in solitary confinement, mm-hmm. you know, um, isolating them from their source of, you know, other people and then you ignoring them. So they're so, uh, so yeah, throughout from pretty much our uh, uh, engagement until um a year and a half into our marriage there wasn't like a physical beating but there was bad behavior uh from the beginning like i said he was tearing down my looks there was a few times i just took off the engagement ring and i said i'm done uh, again like my heart was drawn to him but everything within me the holy spirit was saying warning 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 there were red flags that i didn't realize and there was part of me that said run just run so twice I threw my ring and I said, I'm done. But I ended up just getting wheeled back in. I had been raised in a purity movement, never dated, never held hands with a guy, never kissed. So I was, you know, super spiritual as I thought. And so I was attached to him. He had pushed himself on me during our courting or dating time when we were doing ministry together and he kissed me. So I thought, you know, I'm I'm damaged goods. He had, you know, he had had me, you know, um, you know, some, some sexual things, we didn't have sex, but some things like touching, you know, body parts and things that I just felt like I was damaged goods. Who would want me after I'd kissed another guy or, you know, and so slowly he was really pushing the sexual boundary, really pushing it. And so in here, I felt like, okay, I'm damaged goods. And I was really attached. There's something about trauma bonding or being attached to someone that's really hard to break, break free from. Um, I was really in a way addicted to him. And so it was really, really, really hard for me to break it. Even though everything within my body, like I twice, I I just wanted to end it. Um, and so, yeah, so we just continued a year and a half into it. Uh, we had to flee Iran. I had just had, um, well, not just three, four months earlier, I'd had a miscarriage of twins and I'd been devastated. I'd just gone through some, like a small, like a few months of depression um, I wasn't feeling well. And then Said was arrested. I was, we were arrested a lot and we thought we need to go because us staying in Iran is not benefiting us. And it's not probably benefiting the house church members because they're going to be noticed by the government. So we'd left. It was like midnight. We, uh, there was a missionary family that like, I think it was a Baptist church that they had, uh, it was right around Thanksgiving. So they had left their home in Dubai for a sabbatical for the break for Thanksgiving Christmas break. So uh, a missionary in Dubai said, you can come stay at their house until Saeed can get a visa to America. So we uh, was midnight. We got to Dubai. Uh, thankfully they hadn't closed the border on us. They like Saeed, we could get through uh, because Saeed had had a court appearance. We thought maybe they're going to shut down his passport and we couldn't leave the country, but we were able to leave. We went to Dubai and I was really exhausted uh, I was pregnant again with my current daughter and uh, I was really exhausted and looking for my, uh, Said is very OCD. Everything had to be like put in a certain order and clean. And um, so I was kind of throwing clothes around looking for my uh, pajamas. And uh, he's like, you're making a mess. And I said, who cares? Like, <laughs> uh, who cares? 
And that was it. That was um, almost died. Kicks. So Said has been tra- had been trained in Hezbollah. He knows how to kill with his bare hands. I didn't realize you could kill someone with your bare hands, but I thought I was going to die. He was beating me so bad, kicking me. I had my baby girl on my stomach. He was punching me in the head, kicking me. I just remember crawling to the bathroom by God's grace. I don't know how I got there, locked it, started calling his parents, my parents. And I remember like getting off the floor and looking in the mirror and I'm like, whoa. I mean, I remember thinking, oh, like, because as a child, I'd grown up watching like Tom and Jerry, where you get the bump in the head and you got to get a big bump coming out of your head. And I always, as a child, you know, I was always like, that's funny. That's weird. But now there was actual bumps coming out of my head because of the how badly he had hit my head. Um, and so uh, anyways, called his parents, called my parents, things kind of slowed down, like calmed down a little bit. Uh, at that point, he didn't have a visa to America. So I could have left them, but I didn't. Now, now I was pregnant. And who wants to be a single mom, you know? And I was definitely damaged goods because I was no longer a virgin, you know, in my head, I was like, I'm no longer a virgin. Um, so I stayed and he never said sorry, which is another red flag. He just said there was a lot of demonic um, spirits in Dubai that made him do it. So it was never taking ownership of wow. his anger, never said, I, I'm so sorry for what I did. He's like, well, there's a lot of spiritual darkness here and they kind of made me do it and Mm. never so that was another red flag like he would never own to his own behavior um he would always just there was never a sorry and um I felt like maybe that was because if he ever said sorry or repented then he would think I would have the upper hand it was all about control so then he was kind of submitting to me in some way so he never said sorry. And it, it just kind of um, just continued. So that was the first physical beating was November of 2005. We had been married July of 2004. So about a year and a half into our marriage, came to America, had our children. And it, the violence wasn't as bad, but it continued because I was in America. I was more independent. Now I had my parents, but it continued. There was a time he almost beat me again when I was pregnant with my son. And he grabbed me and shoved me against the wall and started like casting demons out of me. And I um, somehow he was on a call with his family. So he left to finish that call. And I called the police. That was 2007. So there's record of there. There's So years later, all these records came out when all the stuff in the media came out. He had beat my dad, nearly killed him. He had punched his nose and um, had, you know, and then he beat my golden retriever. He had destroyed property one time. I had, um, again, I wouldn't have said those. That was abuse. One time we were, he was kind of starting to act crazy. Uh, Well, when I was pregnant with my son, I called the police on him. I ended up moving with my parents because my pastor said, go somewhere safe. So when I moved with my parents, we had a few six months of separation, but he ended up eventually moving his way back into the house and my parents' house. And so that's where a lot of the drama continued. Uh, but yeah, one time, uh, we were in my parents' house and the kids were probably two or three and, uh, he was acting crazy. So I told my parents, let's go to ice cream. And as we were, uh, headed to go to ice cream, 
um, we, uh, we had ice cream with the kids, calm came back and the house was destroyed. Like the oh. TV had knife in it. My dad's like else, like LCD TV, beautiful. My mom's Lexus car was broken. We thought there was like, someone had come into the house and he was just on the couch and he was just like, Nope, it was me. And I'm not mad. You know, I just want next time. I want you to know next time you go out, you ask me permission. Oh, and so I, yeah. And again, at that time, I didn't realize, wow, this is really crazy. Like this is, and even I remember my dad did call the police, but he did decide not to press charges because again, at that time I have two children with this man. Um, but the police think it's only going to get worse. Someone's going to die. Like it's going to get worse. You guys have called us a few times. So again, in my Middle Eastern brain, raised to submit, uh, raised in the Christian culture of being the Proverbs 31 woman and uh, submitting and not airing dirty laundry, I just didn't see it as abuse. I just, again, I thought we come from two. And I, I shared with one of the pastors in Iran before, and he said, well, you guys are coming. Like I was saying, there's things wrong with our marriage, like. And he said, well, you guys are come from two different cultures, American and Iranian. So it's going to like two waters clashing. It's going to. So I thought it was the clashing of two cultures, uh, a culture that doesn't really honor women to me being with a dad that always like really respected me, gave me um, opportunities that probably other Middle Eastern fathers wouldn't give their daughters. And so I thought it's me. I've just been raised in a home that. I'm spoiled, you know, it's my pride and it's two cultures clashing. So I, I didn't see it as a, as abuse at all. Yeah. So let's jump ahead. Um, obviously you lived through several years of abuse and, and all of that. And then your husband goes to prison um, in Iran. He was there for three and a half years, correct? Yes. I remember as if it was yesterday, yes. praying for your husband, praying for you, praying for your children, never knowing this would ever take place, what we're doing today, but praying God in the name of Jesus, set him free and God protect his wife and children, not knowing the backstory. So his story became so well known around the world because you were out there trying to get him free and did you go to the White House? What did you do? Yeah, I met with President Obama came to Boise. I met with Trump. I met with heads of states of different countries. I spoke at our at our Congress three times. I spoke at German Parliament, Dutch Parliament. I spoke at the United Nations. Uh, interesting enough, uh, it was at the United Nations when I was speaking, and there was over a hundred nations hearing what I was saying in my in their own language. That as I was sharing that about Jesus. I said, my husband's in prison because he believes that Jesus, and then I shared the gospel. And um, that's when it hit me. Wow. I've been praying to share the gospel with the nations. And so interesting enough, God used that to reach over 500 million people there uh, of which there was a great number of that was very secular. I was on CNN. I was on Fox. I was on MSNBC. I was on all the news stations talking about Jesus every single time. So God used it for the gospel, which is, you know, over the years I've thought, oh, God, that was so messy. What, what was that all about? And it's like, I use Saeed's imprisonment for the gospel. You've always wanted that since you were nine. That was the desire of your heart. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I met with 
I met with presidents, heads of states. I There was no stone. I didn't leave unturned. I did everything to get him out. Uh, when he left, I felt like my world had shattered. And when he was arrested, he had gone back to Iran to serve. And uh, the government had said, you know, had allowed him to go back um, because he had he was working on an orphanage. So the government said, as long as you don't really work on house churches, don't do anything, you're fine to do humanitarian help. But he was again, meddling with house churches. And later I realized he was having a relationship with one of our house church members uh, from years earlier. And then that's why he was traveling so much to Iran. Um, but yeah, so when he left, I lost everything. Because if, if, as I said earlier, he'd become my everything. Mm -hmm. My connection, even in America, my connection with my dad and my mom had greatly reduced. I could maybe see them once a month. Uh, by the time the kids were a little bit older, uh, we had kind of gotten our own, you know, place. And so it was a back to like, you can't, you can only see your family or your brother and your brother's kids or, you know, maybe once a month for two hours, like he would. Uh, so he was everything again. He was my main source of information. I didn't trust my own judgment. Uh, so when he got, he was put in prison, I literally felt like, how am I going to function? He tells me what to wear, how to do my makeup. Everything was being controlled by him. But at that time, you know, I didn't see that it was abuse. I was such a dead person in a cocoon. I just, like it, the blood had been sucked out of me and I was just moving as he was telling me to move. Uh, I didn't, I didn't know it was abuse. And, um, I, and I felt devastated that he'd been in prison. I was just devastated. And so I knocked at every door. I was in every news state, uh, news station, Saeed Abedini. I was uh, writing articles for the Wall Street Journal and, Washington Post, I was anything to get the word out to have some government official do something. Uh, I was there. Did I hear you say in another interview that you felt that if you got him free, that God would heal your marriage? Or did I misunderstand? No. Oh, yeah. Uh, when Said was uh, initially arrested the first few months that he was in solitary, my dad actually went to visit him. Uh, my dad flew to Iran and got permission to visit him. And uh, he said, knock me. He, for the first time, Said said, I'm so sorry I hit you. He mm -hmm. said, knock me. He's, for the first time, he said, I, I'm sorry for all I've done to your family. I've been a bad husband. So um, over the years, I was thinking, oh, he's changing. Because I would get little, like, letters from prison. And so I was thinking, wow, God is healing our marriage. God is doing this amazing work. And we're going to, like, you know, uh, I just, I would have, I, my, if someone would have said after three and a half years of trying to get him out, he would come out and you would have a restraining order. I would have said, you're the craziest person I know. So yeah, I felt like God was going to restore my marriage. It was going to be amazing. Um, it, he was not going to be like mean anymore. I wouldn't say abuse at that time, but he was going to appreciate me. Um, because you know, and so that, that's what I thought, you know, but then what happened? Because a few months before he got out, if I remember correctly, you wrote an email to uh, a few, a few being a few hundred, <laughs> or a hundred. Uh, close people that you felt you could really trust just to say, I'm being abused. Thank you for joining us on Silently Bleeding Hope for the Pastor's Wife. We're going to stop the interview here and we'll pick up part two in a few weeks. God bless.